Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tee to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf show. I'm Ted Odorico. Normally, right alongside is uh, my good friend and co-host, LPGA professional Cindy Miller, but she is uh, more than likely not going to be joining us this morning. She had an appointment this morning, so we'll see how that goes. She may hop in a little bit later on in the show. We'll we'll see, but uh, uh, I don't imagine she is going to be able to make it this morning. But I'm here, so I'm glad uh, you're joining us. Uh, we've got a great show. Uh, our guest last week, uh, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it last week, uh, but she's uh, agreed to come on this week, and we're excited uh, to have her here. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Leticia Beck, and I'll introduce her in just a moment. And a little bit later on, you and I are going to jump into the no BS zone, and I'm going to talk about some of golf's uh, essential skills. There's seven of them. We'll try to get through as many as we can. Uh, but um, that's going to be an interesting discussion. We're going to talk about some, really some basic fundamentals and some tips that are going to help you improve your game. So we'll talk about that on the second half of the show. But let me introduce my very special guest this morning. As I mentioned, her name is Leticia Beck. Uh, she's an Israeli uh, professional golfer who began playing at uh, the age of eight. Uh, she made her professional debut in the 2014 Women's British Open. Uh, she also won the Israeli Open Golf Championship five times, including uh, for the first time when she was 12 years of age, uh, so definitely started young. She also won gold medals in golf in both the 2009 and 2013 uh, Maccabia Games and uh, tied 31 at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. Uh, she believes that every decision that she made about her uh game was her own, but likes to give credit to her high school golf coach for believing her in her talents. Uh, some of her hobbies include, of course, playing pretty much any sport. She enjoys that. And she said if she didn't choose the LPJ as a way to make a living, um, that it might be as a professional trainer. So we'll talk about that in a little bit more. But please welcome this morning my very special guest, Leticia Beck. Leticia, good morning and welcome to the Women of Golf. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad that uh, glad you were able to join us, and uh, I'm excited to uh, to speak with you this morning. It ha- like I said, it happens, but uh, glad you're you're able to join us. So I want to go back. Yeah. Um, I didn't get a chance to really sift through the most recent tournament, um, which you just finished up, and you tied six in that. But I want to go back to the one before that, uh, where you finished tied for third at the Circling Raven Championship, and that was just before the long weekend. Uh, you get a pretty strong yeah. finish with an eight under 64 in that final round. Um, this is so far this season. That's been uh, probably one of your, uh, your best finishes on the Epson tour. Um, did you do anything differently in that event? That's made it different from the rest of the season. Cause I, I looked at some of the, 
the stats from early in the season. You, you didn't finish as well, obviously, in a number of tournaments. You missed the cut a few times. What do you think is going on now at this point in the season that your game has really seemed to be coming together and you're finishing much stronger than you have earlier on? Is it just you're more comfortable this time right now, or what is it that's, that's really propelling you to shoot lower numbers? Well, yeah, this season is going a little better. Um, I did have a few good uh, first-day starts, so I would just say just getting putting things together because a um, few tournaments I was either leading the first round or second, but I did have good low rounds first days. Um, final rounds were never as strong, so, yeah, it's just pretty exciting to have two weeks in a row uh, with really low rounds. Um, but, yeah, it's um, I've been playing a little better a little bit more confident with my game. And um, for the most part, I know even when I don't shoot low scores that I still have the following day to shoot low since I'm hitting the ball better. It's all about just hitting maybe more fairways, making a few more putts. And uh, this past two weeks, just the course, I think, hit me a little better too. So then that's when I was uh, able to go really low um, when uh, I was just hitting the ball a little closer to the hole and just making the putts that I needed to make. So... Um, yeah, I guess it's just being able to put things together and uh, being a little bit more comfortable and co- confident with my game. I think, yeah, I would agree. I think as your season goes on, obviously the more rounds and the more tournaments you plan, your confidence level, um, you know, um, starts to build and, and obviously you're going to play better. It's interesting you said mm-hmm. that, you know, if a course really fits um, your your game, obviously you're going to perform better. And so I want to ask you, when you get faced with, let's say, a hole or even a couple of holes that really don't fit your eye, um, now you may be a left-to-right ball striker predominantly, or you might be a right-to-left. When you get on a hole that doesn't fit your eye, do you tend to play a more protective um, hole, uh, or you just continue to pursue as you normally would? What do you do differently, if anything, on a hole like that that doesn't fit your eye? Yeah, so I usually, so I adjust during the round. Um, so definitely when it's a hole where I don't feel comfortable off the tee or when it doesn't look right to me, I will play safe. I will either play a three-wood and um, just not attack as much. So that's what I've been doing. Um, although last week, it's funny, on like a par five, I'm like, wasn't feeling great. On the final round, like towards the end, and I was about to hit my three wood, and I'm like, you see, what are you doing? Like, you're not here to hit a three wood. So I hit a driver, and I hit my best driver. So usually I will play safe, but then sometimes I'm like, you see, come on, just like be mentally tough, focus a little bit better, and um, stay calm. So um, this is then, you know, I'll hit a driver or be a little bit more aggressive. But overall, yeah, if, if I really don't feel comfortable, then I will go um, play like the safe, my safe game. You know, Jack Nicholas famously said that as well, uh, you know, uh, certainly along the same lines, that if the hole didn't fit his eye, he would be happy if he could sneak away with just a par on that hole. He didn't try to be mm-hmm. too aggressive. Um, and obviously, as we know by his record, it served him very well. So I think you're, <laughs> you're in good company there um, with yeah. certainly one of the best players of all time, uh, certainly from the men's perspective. Uh, but I think that's good because, you know, you can't, you know, at the same token, you want to be a little bit more aggressive because if you don't, um, you know, there's a hundred or whatever other girls out there yeah. that are playing their game more aggressively that maybe more holes fit their eye than perhaps yours does in that particular course. 
So you can't yeah. afford to sort of sit back on your heels because then you run the risk that, hey, you're not going to finish well and you're going to yes. take away your off, right? And it's, yeah, it's not just, it's not only that, but it's also if you try to um, play a shot, but mentally you're not there, then you're really going to cost you a few shots, not even one. Um, so like last week, for example, there was a par five on number 10 and I was um, 10 under par. I was five under par going to number 10 and it's a par five that can be reachable with the driver. But I was like, not as comfortable. And I'm like, okay, let's just say like, okay, you can play safe, but you just need to play a good hole and still make a birdie with laying up. And um, I was actually really happy that I was able to, I, I ended up taking the three wood, but I did make a birdie because I was, I was, I had a really good third shot to the, to the green and I was uh, pretty close. So, yeah, so even when I do try to play safe, usually it's off the tee, but I'm I'm still trying to mentally be there to make the birdie. So, yeah, it's just about I, I mentioned, committing to the shot. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it's, it's like they always say, um, one shot at a time. And you're in the moment, whatever shot you're faced with, you can't worry about, you know, the next hole or the one that just, you just played, you got to focus on the shot at hand. Um, okay. I found it interesting when I, w- when I was reading through um, some of the notes and it, you know, I, I mentioned that you had won the Israeli Open Golf Championship five <laughs> times. Um, that's, I a, that's a that. pretty that's strong... That's only five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, what I found interesting about that was the first one, obviously, you won at, at age 12. Um, so obviously, uh, and you know, obviously you began playing at, at age eight, when did you know that this is what you wanted to do for a living? Obviously you started playing at eight, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. what, what was the, de- what was sort of the decision process? Was this something that you were encouraged by your family? Was it just something that you watched on TV one day and said, Hey, I think I'd like to try that. When did you <laughs> decide this is something I want to do? Yeah. So originally I'm from Belgium. My entire family, we're from Belgium. Right. We moved to Israel when I was six. And we moved uh, near the golf, the only 18-hole golf course in Israel. And ever since I was a kid, I loved sports. And so when I moved to Israel, I played golf because it was near the house. My parents played golf. I played tennis. I played soccer. I played pretty much anything that was uh, in front of me. And um, I was mainly, I think I was enjoying more soccer and tennis. But um, so I was playing those sports more than golf. Golf was just twice a week. Tennis was three times a week. Soccer was like every day. It's cool. Um, but when I was 12, uh, the pro at the club told my parents that I should sign up for the Israeli Open, the ladies, because we didn't have a girls uh, division, a junior division. Mm-hmm. And um, so I signed up. My mom was caddying for me, and I ended up winning in a playoff. Like, I, don't, wow. I don't remember that if we thought anything of it before we signed up. And uh, so I won the tournament, and then that was, you know, when you're 12, it's kind of like the time that we should probably pick a sport to continue if you wanted to turn professional, because I wanted to be a professional athlete. And uh, mm-hmm. tennis, you just need a partner. My parents were not competitive, so they didn't really help me. So tennis, you need someone. Soccer, you need a team. Like almost every other sport, you just need someone to be there with you all the time. And golf, you can do it by yourself. And right. so that's how I kind of picked golf because I, I, I was always pushing myself. I was always willing to practice. And um, my parents were never there to just stand and, like, watch me. I mean, they were there supporting me, but not, you know, not the typical parents of, like, professional right. athletes usually. 
And uh, so, yeah, so that's how I decided to pick um, golf. And then the next year, from playing twice a week to playing almost every day, I became a scratch handicap. And then um, I knew that I had, we knew my family, my parents and I, that I had to find a boarding school overseas to try to get to the next level. And uh, and when right. I was 14, I left Israel to go to a boarding school in the U.S. I mean, so actually, when you look- so when I was 12 or I think it was 13, because Israel, I was pretty much the only golfer my level. I went to the U.S. Uh, a pro in Israel told, uh, introduced me to someone in the U.S. just to see, um, to get a feedback from them to see if I am talented and not, you know, mm-hmm. just a, an, an okay player. And once we kind of got that. The, the person said that yes, I have the talent to you know be a great player, and that that's when we can, we made the decision to to invest more. Now you said that also that your the decisions about your golf game were your own. So as obviously you know your parents, as you said, encouraged you, but they weren't there you know pushing you from behind saying you got to do this or you know we see that mm-hmm. sometimes unfortunately in junior golf where a lot of young players yeah. really get sort of led around and that's not a good thing i mean the player has to you know the, the the child has to want that for themselves and it's great for the parents to be encouraging and supportive and that but ultimately it has to be your decision but you also mentioned and i thought this was interesting and i want you to talk a little bit about this you mentioned that your high school golf coach um you give a lot of credit to to them because they really believed in your talent what was it about um that particular person um that really help be a good support system for you? I think once you, I moved to the U.S. where, um, you know, the golf level is much higher, um, and then having someone that knows a lot about the game. I mean, he was a great player, a great coach, so I really trusted him. And I think, you know, that's like for the first time. I mean, we have pros in Israel in the U.S. for so the first time. I had someone who really knew the game. And... um he was excited when he met me, and I was at the academy for four years. So I had him for four years. I mean, the boarding school, my parents are in Israel, so it's almost like a parent. So I think that's why, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it was a nice relationship for me to have, um, especially me wanting to become a pro. Almost like a mentor a little bit as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So... And I, I ask this because I think even at your level of play, there's got to be days when you're laying in bed and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I want to get up this morning and go out and practice for several hours. What do you do to give yourself a little kick, a kick in the behind to say, okay, Leticia, I got to get out of bed this morning and I got to get out there and work on my game? Because there, let's be truthful. I mean, I know you uh, love this game and, and obviously you're very mm-hmm. passionate about it. But there, the cold hard fat, there's days with any job that you have that you just don't feel like rolling out of bed and going to do it. What do you do to motivate yourself? Yeah. So, well, now it's a little more tricky or different because, you know, I'm, I kind of call myself a veteran here because I've been here for like eight years now on this on LPGA and Epson. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was on LPGA, um, I was working a lot. I was practicing a lot. Uh, my friends were always making fun of me that I'm one of the last ones on the green. Um, and now, to be honest, I'm a little less like that because uh, working on my swing, working on my game is not as important of mentally being strong and confident. And sometimes when I practice too much, 
um, I'm actually not getting better. Um, last week, before Utah, I actually took a week off. I went to visit a friend, and I really didn't do anything. And, like, part of me, the perfectionist that wants to practice and, like, have, you know, this perfect swing and game was frustrated myself that I didn't practice. But now I know that it doesn't mean much in my game because I've had experiences where I practiced so much and it didn't help. And for me, it's all about confidence. And because um, I'm, I'm a decent athlete. Swing doesn't have to be perfect, but if I'm worried about it too much or if mentally I'm not there, even if I practice so much on the range and have it, you know, I, I can feel great on the range course, you know, as we know, it's a little different. So with the question of, oh, like if I have days where I don't feel like practicing, in my case, I know that the practice part is not the most important thing in my game. I need to be mm-hmm. confident and really believing in myself. And I've done this for so long, practicing, that even if I don't practice, but mentally I'm there and I'm confident, I can play great golf. So so I uh, try not to be tough on myself now, nowadays. I know that um, my one priority is being confident. And then after that, my game will come together. What's interesting... It's very personal. Um, that- yeah, what's interesting about what you said, and, and I'm just looking here at some of the, the stats and that, your rookie year with Epson was uh, 2015. So, yeah, you've been around the block uh, for a few years now. So On the LPGA was you, 2015. Uh, Epson, I played three events on 15, 2015. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. When you go out at the beginning of the season, because you've been out there now for a number of years on both tours, both the LPGA and obviously the Epson, mm-hmm. And you see new players coming out for the first time out in the, on the um, particularly on the Epson, obviously probably more so than the LPJ. But uh-huh. um, and you see them doing the same things that you did, where they're just grinding and just working and working. Do you ever say to yourself, "I remember when I did that," um, and you're going to have to, you know, you're thinking, and you might have even said this to them. Do you ever go and talk to them and say, "You know what"? I know it's important to, to work on your game and practice, but you're going to find that you need to have more balance uh, and not work. So, because the reason why I ask that is we've had a lot of young ladies that have been on the show over the years, Cindy and I, and many of them have said that for a long time they just worked so hard on their games that they almost felt like burnt out. Do you feel uh-huh. that that's important for these young players coming out now that you've got some experience under your belt to want to encourage them not to, that you don't want them to get out there and work on the game, but to say, you know what, you need to balance it out because you're going to burn yourself out. Do you ever find yourself sort of advising them a little bit to say, hey, you might want to think about this more as opposed to that? Do you ever find yourself doing it or at least thinking it? Um, I, I do remember a few years after I started people saying, like, look, your game is good enough. There's a reason why you made it to the LPGA. And, you know, so, yeah, so people, when people grind, they think they need to find this, like, you know, perfect game to be, you know, I don't know, to, like, be number one. Um, so you're right. Um, there Usually there needs to be some type of balance. Um, I don't think much of it when I see them because, obviously, I don't really know them so much, um, what they mm-hmm. do when we're not in a tournament. But I do think to myself, look, when girls practice so much at the tournament week, um, it's not a great sign because the preparation needs to be before the tournament. When we go to the tournament, yes, you need to work a little bit on your technique, but at the end of the day, you're there to just learn the course, 
work a little bit on the game, but uh, not grind there all day. Um, but I, you know, I'm they're my competitors, so I, I'm not <laughs> thinking you know. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, I prefer them making mistakes. I had more right. more often than not. I had I, I want I always wanted to. I usually want to tell my friends, and I've done it before, that they need to work harder. So I had that more right. trying to push players to go work on their game than tell them not to work. <laughs> right. I, I, I get it. I understand. So you mentioned that really it's more more about the mental game now for you. It's about really um, sort yeah. of understanding, you know, where you are, not necessarily in the tournament and that, but where you are mentally uh, at any uh-huh. given moment. So what do you do to, I mean, because that's something that, you know, it's not like you can go out and, and drop a bucket of balls and and, yeah. uh, and, and go out and, and hit them out. This is entirely different. So do you do anything, what do you do to sort of, get yourself prepared for the tournament mentally um, and how do you keep yourself staying focused during the event, but not so much that you're, you're overwhelming yourself. So how do you find that balance? How do you mentally find that balance? What, what are you doing? And I don't want you to give away too many secrets because just no, some of your competitors, have, competitors are listening. It's simple. <laughs> it's simple. Like, at the end of the day, yes. I, I, so I did work on my game this, you know, I always, I always work on my game. I'm a very technical person. And uh, this past like year or two years, actually, two years ago, I started working with someone and just like the things we work on just clicked a little bit better. And that kind mm-hmm. of adds to the confidence. And yes, there are weeks where maybe I go back to my old tendencies and then that puts a little bit more anxiety because I'm like worried but at the end of the day, I try to, for me, um, work committing to the swing move that I'm doing that helps me, that helps me feel a little bit a little bit better about my swing, helps me being a little bit more relaxed. So, um, so yeah, once I feel a little bit m- better with the swing, I feel better mentally, and then mm-hmm. the self-talk of like telling myself that yes, I'm good enough. And, um, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like kind of simple, but it's not simple because I've been trying to do that for many years, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's really just like feeling a little better about the swing and not being so tough mm-hmm. on myself and not believing in myself. So once I, with me, once I feel a little bit better about this, like, um, move that, that I'm doing with my swing, I feel a little bit calmer and then I feel more confident. And then kind of, you know, when I go on the golf course and I have a little bit less anxiety. So it's like so no secret, really. It's just the swing right. makes me feel better, makes me feel better on the golf course. <laughs> well, so, you get to and know. And also you've staying got... in the moment. Yeah. And then, right. like, yeah, you've I'm, I'm know... like not, not trying to put too much pressure on myself on the golf course. That's another thing. That I've been trying to do things right. outside the golf course that doesn't, that makes me feel a little bit that I have more than just golf. Um so maybe that's another thing that when we just have golf, 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 that kind of we, we put so much more stress on ourselves when we are on the golf course to have to do well. So I, I guess that's another thing that I try to tell myself and try to do uh, off the golf course. Well, I think you've gotten to know yourself um, obviously better over the years. You understand what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. And I think once, and that helps with your confidence. So I want to ask you, um, about, as you mentioned a little 
earlier in the in the program that one of the things about golf, obviously, as anybody that plays the game knows, it, it's not a team sport unless, of course, you're in a Solheim Cup or Ryder Cup uh, yeah. situation. But you're you're out there by yourself, and so it's you against the golf course and the weather and you know all of that sort of thing. What have you learned about yourself? What has golf golf taught you about yourself? Um, over the last several years that you've been playing? What, what is it you've learned about Leticia that maybe you didn't know before? Um, what has it helped you to, to reveal about yourself? Oh, that's a tough question. Wow. I never thought about it. I mean, I always knew I was independent ever since I was 12 years old. Um, I don't know if it taught me anything new. I mean, I'm very independent. That's why I think I, I, I became a good golfer a golfer, just being able to be there all day by myself. Um, I always knew I was mentally strong since, you know, it does require a lot of strength golf, especially being by yourself and having to, you know, no one else to depend on. Um, Yes, I I don't think, I haven't, yeah, I haven't thought about it yet, really. (laughs) Just as a kid, I was very proud of myself for how, how I was as a kid, being able to do what I did. And, um, no, maybe it's a question I'll have to think about. <laughs> well, you can you can hold that answer until the next time you come and join us. Uh, yeah. That'll be good. I'll, have to, I'll make a note and I'll remember. It, you're right. I, it's I a very difficult question. I need to talk to a psychologist to, like, explore that question. <laughs> <laughs> like a deep, like... <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is a tough one. You know, it, the reason why, because golf, golf is really... I've I've always equated golf, you know, personally, and, I, and many people that I've talked to, like yourself, that have played equate golf to life it mimics life in so many ways because when you go out in the golf course you know there's many challenges just like there is in life and you have to figure out the best way to navigate those challenges whether it's you know some uh uh strategically placed sand traps or whether it's water or hazards or whatever the case whatever challenges out in the golf course you have to manage and navigate and it's the one it's not just because we've seen this many times. It's not just the best ball striker that wins the tournament. It's the one that navigates around the course the best in the, obviously the less strokes. But sometimes mm-hmm. there's been players over the years that are not necessarily the best ball strikers on tour, but they know how to play the game. They know how to manage themselves yeah. properly. They know actually, how to right, yeah. right. And that's so actually me. That's what because I always tell my friends, I'm like, you guys are hitting so well, like so straight, and I'm like everywhere, and I'm able to. Yeah, when people ask what's my strength, I usually say scramble. I'm able to, to score. Well, that's because you're a player and not just a, what mm-hmm. we would call a range rat. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a teaching I'm a teaching professional as as Cindy is, and we see a mm-hmm. lot of range rats as we call them. And they're just out there and they're hitting, raking, and hitting balls all day long, and yeah. but they don't actually get out there and play, and they wonder why they never improve their handicap, and it's because they mm-hmm. don't do what you do and that is you're out in the golf course you spend more time on the yeah. golf course than you do in the range and um, mm-hmm. you have to focus on those things so if you were in front of a group of young girls let's say um, maybe middle school or even younger than that that had an interest in golf and they came to you you were in front of their class and they said you know what we want to know what you would advise us to do if we had a similar interest in being what would you say to them? What advice would you give some a group of young girls that maybe had aspirations to become a, a professional golfer like yourself? How would you advise them? What would what advice would you give them? 
<laughs> advice. Well, number one is just to remember to have to enjoy. Uh, it's tough to do something you don't enjoy anything we do in life. Um, so mm-hmm. just to be there every day, enjoy what you're doing. I mean, it's going to be a struggle at times, but at the end of the day, um, the goal is to go out there and, and try to enjoy. I mean, I'm still trying to do that too. <laughs> when you try to, when you're enjoying <laughs> yourself on the golf course, that's when you play your best golf. Um, but as a young kid, um, I would just say like, have a good, uh, structure with practice. Um, I wasted a lot of time just not being um, too productive productive with how I practice. And if you really want to get better, you just need to um, really have a structure of how you're going to get better in every area of your game. And slowly, um, well, people say, well, you get better 1% every day. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how you become you know, a great player, by you know, improving your skills every day. So it's just find a way to... Um, Try to get better every day, every I time think you go mo- in practice. Some great advice uh, to give uh, to, to young golfers out there, especially young girls that really have an interest and want to play this game. There's so many more opportunities for them now than there has been mm-hmm. in the past, and it just gets better and better. Um, but I think the, the one that really sticks out to me is you have to have fun. You have to enjoy what you're doing uh, because otherwise mm-hmm. then it's, it's really not so much fun. So um, I hope yes. you'll continue to go out and have fun. And you've got, uh, I know there's, including the Tour Championship, um, the Epson Tour Championship later in, in, or early in October, you've got four events left for the season to, to round it out. So I want to wish you uh, much continued success. I hope you uh, get a win under your belt this year. And uh, you. you're going to get the Guardian Championship at Prattville uh, now, and you're going to get out and do your practice round and, and work on. Mm-hmm. But uh, most importantly, Leticia, have fun. And thank you very much for joining me this morning on the Women of Golf. It's thank been you fun. So much and for having I've enjoyed me. having you. And keep thinking about that question. I want to know how how you, yeah, right? so you come back on, and join us again. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna to ask you. you that. I'm gonna ask you that question again. So, but good luck this week and good luck rest of the season. And uh, okay. again, thank you for joining me this morning. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> bye bye. All right. That was Leticia Beck uh, joining us uh, this morning. Uh, she's uh, been on the LPGA as well as uh, currently on the uh, Epson Tour. And uh, she's out uh, trying to get her her first win, I guess, if, if you will, uh, for the season. And uh, we'll see what uh, what happens. But I um, want to thank her for, for joining us. A very uh, interesting young lady and uh, certainly uh, enjoyed uh, having her this morning. All right. As I mentioned, I'm going to jump into the no BS zone here in just a moment. But before I do, uh, here's a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, Equipment, training aids, accessory, and apparel reviews, golf destinations, and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. And also, just to remind everybody, um, this October, uh, October 27th to the 29th, uh, Golf Tips will be uh, hosting a Golf Tips Golf School retreat at McLemore 
uh, resort up atop Lookout Mountain in Georgia. If you're interested in attending, uh, you need to reach out to me. The email you can reach out to me is editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com, or you can call me personally on my cell, 850-238-6130. But you need to do that uh, pretty quick as we're getting down to the wire. Uh, We've only got a, a couple of weeks more. Uh, for you to book and, and make sure you save your spot. So if you're interested in tent, it's going to be a great opportunity. It's going to be three of our top 25 instructors, uh, professional golfers that are going to be there uh, helping you uh, work on your game. There'll be some great opportunities to play some golf, uh, as well as some uh, first-rate um, uh, accommodations as well. So if you're interested in uh, attending uh, the Golf Tips Golf School Retreat, uh, October 27th to the 29th, it's a three-day golf school uh, all included, um, and uh, a great uh, VIP gift bag as well uh, as part of uh, your your stay there. But if you're interested, you need to reach out to me uh, here this week, preferably, because uh, we've only got a couple of weeks left before we close things off. Uh, you can do so by emailing me at editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com. That's editor.tipsmag at gmail.com. Or you can call me directly at area code 850 Three zero, uh, and if you call, just leave a message. If I don't uh, pick up right away, and uh, I'll be uh, happy to uh, provide you with more details and information. But again, it's going to be a great time. Macklemore is a beautiful resort. It's uh, about twenty two hundred feet up in the air uh, on top of Lookout Mountain in Georgia, and uh, you got a beautiful panoramic view, some great accommodations, a beautiful golf course, the Highlands there, and uh, practice facility. And uh, just a lot of fun. It's just a really great place to visit. I was there earlier this year, and uh, we're going to do a golf school uh, retreat uh, this October. So if you want to attend, uh, again, reach out to me at editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com or area code 850-238-6130. And I'm happy to help you uh, get that booked up. All right. As I mentioned, um, this was actually a conversation that I was um, going to have this past uh, Thursday last week um, on the Coach's Corner panel segment of my other uh, program, Golf Talk Live. And unfortunately, we ran into some technical difficulties. We managed to get a little bit of it out, um, but had to cancel the program last minute because of some technical issues with the program. Uh, so we didn't get a chance to go through it. So I thought this would be a good uh, discussion to have this morning uh, just to help. And it's Golf's Seven Essential Skills. Uh, very, very basic, but I think they're ones that you need to know, um, whether you're a, a, a high uh, or whether you're a beginning golfer. Um, the first one that we're going to talk about is uh, pre-swing fundamentals, uh, things like the grip and aim and setup. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the, the great detail, but I'm going to just sort of explain to you why obviously these are important. Um, if you want to become a better player, you know, as I uh, talked about with Leticia earlier, uh, mentioning about Jack Nicholas, this was uh, a particular area that he focused on every season. When he came out at the beginning of the season, he worked on his, his uh, pre-swing fundamentals, his grip, his posture, aim, that sort of thing. And it was very important to him that he wanted to make sure that he got off to a good start each season. He didn't worry about all of the other things. He didn't worry about whether his right elbow was tucked in a certain way or, or what have you. He focused on these key areas with his instructor at the time. And um, I think it's uh, words to live by, uh, considering he was... Uh, uh, to be considered uh, among the best players uh, ever to play this game. Uh, certainly Tiger Woods coming along later has, has challenged those records, but um, Jack was, was definitely a, a great player, and uh, here's the reason why. So 
when we talk about grip, um, it, it really is is somewhat personal. There are obviously some uh, some things. And again, I'm not going to get into all the specifics, but most golfers really don't hold the golf club properly. Um, they get, uh, and I'm going to talk about right-handed golfers. So whatever I'm saying here this morning, uh, if you're a left-handed golfer, just sort of do the opposite of what I'm saying. But um, you want to get your grip right. So you want to hold the club. It's more in the fingers, not the palm. One of the mistakes that a lot of players do is they get the, the, the grip up in the palm as opposed to in the fingers. You want it along the base of your fingers um, so that you have some wrist flexibility. If you get it into the palm, it's very hard to um, be able to get good um, flexibility with, with the club because it's, it's very stiff. And um, whether you use, you've probably heard uh, new golfers, this may be a little bit new, but if you've heard of um, what they refer to a baseball grip or 10-finger grip where all of your fingers are on uh, the club, um, there's also what we refer to as the interlocking, which is what Nicholas famously did where he took uh, his forefinger of his left hand and his baby finger of his right hand, and he sort of intertwined and interlocked them, as it's called. And that helps keep his hands a little bit more solid on, on the, uh, the, the grip. Um, and then there's also an overlapping where those same two fingers, instead of interlocking, you just take your, your baby finger of uh, your right hand and just sort of overlap that uh, uh, forefinger, if you will, um, so it's very similar, just you're not interlocking it. And it depends on what's comfortable for you. The main key thing that you want to remember about the grip is you don't want to grip so tightly that you're starting to see the veins in your forearms or you're starting to feel tension up in your, your shoulders and your chest and that. Um, and you'd be surprised at how many golfers. So what we like to famously do is give you a guide of how tight you should grip the club. So on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being loose and, and barely holding on to the club, 10 being you've got a death grip going on, I would say, again, each player is going to be a little different. I think if you grip it anywhere from a 3, the, the tension should feel between a 3 and a 5, I think you're good. Another analogy we've heard many times over the years, imagine if you were holding a baby bird in your hands. Obviously, you don't want to squeeze it or you'd, or you'd hurt it, um, but you want to have it enough that it's not going to escape. And one thing to, to keep in mind, too, uh, that a lot of people don't realize, and they say, well, if I, if I don't have it tight enough, I'm worried that when I swing the golf club, it's going to come flying out. Well, that's not true, because what happens is through centrifugal force, as you're swinging the golf club into, whether it's the backswing or into the downswing, your hands naturally grip on a little bit tighter. It's a natural function. Uh, it, it actually uh, happens really uh, subconsciously. You don't even realize you're doing it. Um, so if you had it, let's say a three, um, is the tension that you had with the grip and suddenly you're swinging through, it's actually going to grip. It might be a four or five by the time you're done. So you don't need to worry about uh, holding it on tight. And the reason why is you need to have that flexibility. You need to be able to swing the club. You're swinging it. You're not hitting at it, uh, at the golf ball. You're swinging it through the golf ball is just getting in the way. So grip is important, whether you have what's called a strong, a neutral or a weak grip. And what I mean by that is, again, for right-handed golfers, if your left hand is your uh, hand that you're gripping with first, um, if the, um, if you will, that, that gets created, if it's more running up the shaft, then that's a neutral grip. If it's more to the left, then it's a little bit weaker grip. And if it's more to the right, then uh, that's a stronger grip. Now, if you do that, you've got to make sure that your right hand, when you grip on, that the V that's formed with your um, right hand, thumb, and forefinger 
that those that groove and the one in your left hand match. So in other words, they're pointing in the same direction. You don't want them uh, where you've got one pointing towards your right shoulder and you've got the other one pointing towards your left shoulder. That's a little bit of exaggeration. So you want to make sure that they're aiming together because otherwise your hands won't work in unison. So uh, whatever's comfortable for you, the main thing is the grip pressure and the main thing is to make sure that you're holding it more in the fingers and not the palm of your hand. So work with your professional if you've got a teaching professional or go and visit um, the local course that you play and get a, a good lesson on some of these things that we're talking about today and they'll help you find the best grip for you. But those are just some basics. Aim is another one uh, for these pre-swing fundamentals. Most golfers don't line up to their target, so they uh, try to correct it through um, the path through their swing. And uh, so what ultimately ends up happening is their feet, shoulders, and knees are aiming one way, but maybe the club face is aiming another way. Um, and what ultimately happens is that they're swinging the golf club, the ball's going all over the place. So what I always recommend is Take two clubs out of your bag and make like railroad tracks. And what you want to do is you put, want to put the ball in between the two. So the, the top one, so the one, if you're facing uh, down the range, you take one club and you aim it at your thumb, um, so where you want the ball to end up. So if there's a flag out there, you aim it at the flag. And um, then you take the next one and you make it like a railroad track so they're parallel to one another. And that one's going to be a few inches down. And that one's going to aim, obviously, it's going to show left of your target because that's where your feet, your shoulders, your knees, and, and so forth, your hips are going to be aiming. Um, and then what you do is you put the ball uh, just inside that, and that gives you a general idea, um, and it helps you line up correctly each time. So when you're doing aim, when you're on the driving range, obviously, you can't do that on the golf course. You want to make sure that you're aiming correctly on the range um, and getting a sense of what that looks like. Stand behind uh, those two clubs when you're getting ready for every shot, make, make that part of your pre-shot routine and make sure that those clubs are aligning where you need them to be. So that's another way. And again, your uh, local um, PGA or LPGA professional can work with you on that. Um, and then your setup, obviously you want to make sure that you have uh, softer knees. You want to make sure that you're bending forward at the hips so that your weight is on the balls of your feet. And that's that sort of thick padding that's just, um, behind the toes, um, that's the balls of your feet. That's a good athletic position. Too many people feel like they're, they've heard the old expression, feel like you're sitting down on a bar stool and they squat down and they don't really bend uh, at, the, at the hips and they're bending their back over. You'll see they've they got a humped back and they're just sort of slumping over the ball and they're sitting back more on their heels. So that's not a good setup as well. You want to make sure that your feet, um, your knees, your hips, and your shoulders are all aiming down the fairway or down the, uh, if you're on the practice tee, down the range in the same direction. You don't want your shoulders pointing one way, your hips pointing another way, and so on and so forth. Um, there are some variances depending on certain shots. You may want to open that stance a little bit. We'll talk about that another time. But a general setup, you want to make sure that they're all pointing in the same direction uh, so that you're making sure that you're aiming where you want the ball to go. Um, and that helps with a proper setup, proper grip, and proper aim. And they all affect club face as well if your uh, grip particularly if you're aiming uh if your grip is not sound and let's say when you grip the club the club face is pointing to the right again for right-handed golfers then what's going to happen is as you come through and hit the ball even if you hit it solidly uh you're going to impart left to right spin and it's going to create either a slice or a fade depending on how much it's open uh conversely if the, if the club face is closed and it's aiming left of your target then you run the risk, again, depending on how much you might hit a, 
a hook or you might uh, might draw it if it's just a, a little bit, um, and that sometimes can be okay. But your grip controls the club face, um, and you want to make sure that your club face is square. So it's again, it's important to check all of these things. These pre-swing, uh, pre-swing, excuse me, uh, fundamentals, your grip, your aim, and your setup um, are very, very important to make sure you get right. And the only way to do that is to practice on the range. Get together with your local golf professional, uh, set up, uh, you know, some lessons with them, and make sure that they've gone through all of this stuff, which they will um, with you in the beginning, so that you can get a good sound fundamentals in your setup, in your grip, in your aim. And when you do that, you're going to become a much better player. If everything's set up correctly, all you have to do at that point is just swing the club. And uh, when you do that, it's just a matter of the ball getting in the, in the way. And uh, they'll talk to you about things like ball position and that as well, uh, making sure that you're getting things in the ball position. We don't have time to do all that today. But I just want to give you a general idea. Those are things that you need to work on. And the more that you work on them in a practice session, the better you're going to become. And those are things, a lot of those things you can do actually at home. You don't even have to go to the range. Uh, you may not be able to hit balls depending on where you are. Um, but if you have a, a full-length mirror that you can get in front of, uh, there's a lot of uh, training aids out there, short golf clubs where you don't have to worry about swinging it and hitting anything, but you can uh, work on your grip. Some of them actually have a formed grip to get you to, so you know what it feels like. Uh, and then you can just put some sticks down or some clubs down in your backyard and just uh, – make a, a, a temporary target out in your backyard to make it look like you're aiming at something and uh, just set up your, your alignment sticks or your golf clubs and just practice these different things. Um, the next one I want to talk on too is, is to strike the ball, not scooping the ball. Um, golfers need to really understand how to get the ball up in the air very early uh, in the game. Um, a lot of them don't understand what impact should look like, so most golfers try to lift the ball in the air. So what they ultimately do is, again, this can sometimes be uh, as a result of ball position. Um, but more often than what, what they're doing is they're not um, getting the club at impact. Um, they're not getting the shaft leaning uh, forward. So what ultimately happens is if you watch great players and when they do slow motion on, uh, on the PGA Tour or LPGA Tour, you'll see as they're coming through impact, that they're actually striking down with their irons now. We're talking about uh, creating a striking blow. The angle of the club is what produces the loft in the ball. So you'll see where the shaft will lean uh, ahead of towards the target a little bit more as they're coming through impact. Um, and it's going to look a little bit different <coughs> Excuse me, um, than obviously what it does at setup. That's important because what ultimately ends up happening is many golfers try to help the ball get airborne. They don't realize that the club face is designed to do that. That's what the grooves are for, and that's why there's different lies and lofts, so that you have um, a way of uh, when you're coming through and striking through impact, uh, it's going to create backspin, and it's going to lift the ball in the air. What often we see with golfers is they're trying to flick their wrists and try to scoop and hit up on the ball, especially on irons, and that's just not going not gonna to work. What ultimately happens there is you might get the ball airborne, but it doesn't go very far because you're not making good impact swing. So don't uh, strike the ball. Don't scoop the ball. Uh, so what you want to do is you want to be striking with a downward blow on your irons. And, uh, and then as you're going through, that ball is going to be lifted up as it rolls up the club face uh, and creates backswing. And obviously the more uh, loft you have on your club, let's say a pitching wedge, 
is going to go much higher, not as far distance, uh, say uh, your six iron or seven iron, so because it has less loft. So you want to make sure you're striking down and not scooping uh, the, the golf ball. And again, these are things that your professional can talk to you about in person. Um, another one is your pivot. This is another one that really a lot of people uh, I find have a problem, uh, particularly with with their um, irons. And really on the backswing, uh, the the entire pivot really happens above the waist as you get your left shoulder behind the ball. So again, for right-handed golfers, as you're swinging the club back, your upper body is beginning to turn. Your shoulders are turning. You ideally would like to get to that 90 degree to your target um, where your back is actually facing uh, the target down the down the um, fairway or if you're on the, the range, then it, it's going to be facing the range. And what you want to do as you do that, um, the lower body remains fairly quiet in the backswing. It will turn as a result of turning your upper body, but you don't turn the lower body first and then move the upper body. So it's as a result. So it's kind of like if somebody was to take you by the top of the head and just start twisting you one way, um, your body is going to start to turn and it's going to almost like there was a rubber band and that rubber band is going to tighten up. So that's kind of the feeling you want to have. Now on the downswing, the opposite happens as you engage your legs. So as you're unwinding, your legs are your and, and your hips um, start to move towards uh, the target. And they're not really sliding. They're not bending over. It's just the, the tension that's been created is starting to unwind. And then the upper body comes through, and then the club obviously uh, comes through uh, uh, last. So what's happening is the body is unwinding in the downward pivot. The weight is now shifting back onto your, your front foot, which would be your left foot for right-handed golfers. So on the backswing, your weight starting to move and shift um, as a result of that turn on your back foot. And you're going to feel more of the weight is going to be on your right back heel. And then as you sort of feel like you're pushing off with that right heel, and now the, the lower body, your your feet, your legs, and that are going to start to shift, and your hips are going to start to shift, and your upper body is going to start to unwind. And as that happens, the club is going to drop into the plane it needs to be on, and you're going to be able to make a good solid strike. Um, and then as you follow through, then you just continue on, and your weight now becomes more on your left foot. Um, and again, different if you're a left-handed golfer, it would be on your right. Um, so again, the pivot's very important. What often happens is a lot of people in the backswing tilt, and instead of turning and shifting that weight to the to the back foot, they stay on the front foot, and ultimately end up sort of leaning towards the target. Well, then your body only has one thing it can do is as it starts to unwind, as you start to shift, the body then tilts, and we call what's called a reverse pivot. Your body starts to shift over to the right, and you end up sort of falling off uh, the shot, or um, you end up doing what's called a reverse pivot. So you're shifting in a proper backswing. You're shifting your weight towards the back foot um, on the backswing, and on the downswing, the weight is now starting to shift onto your front foot as you come through impact. Um, that's a proper golf swing, and it's a, a matter of timing, and it's a matter, it takes a matter of practice. If the opposite is happening, if you, as you're going in your backswing, as I said, and your, your weight is now shifted onto the front foot, then you're sort of leaning, feel like you're leaning towards the target. Ultimately, that a lot of times can happen from trying to pick the club up. So you're not really shifting. You're just sort of picking the club up, and your weight, unfortunately, in order to counter that, moves to the left. And then when you go to come down, in order to prevent yourself from falling over, 
your weight now suddenly shifts, shifts onto the back leg, and that's wrong. That's not the way you want to do it. That's what we call a reverse pivot. So, again, you want to make sure you get that right, and if you're not able to go to the driving range all the time, get in front of a mirror and just look in the mirror um, and get into your posture, get into your setup, your grip and all that, and then just as you take the club back, watch to see and feel. Sometimes a lot of people do, might even close their eyes when they're doing this. So they feel that sensation of that weight shifting onto the back foot. So work on these things again with your pro. Um, <clears throat> and um, I think you'll find that you'll become a much better player. Uh, another one is effortless power, not powerless effort. Uh, to create powerful club head speed, the club head must swing faster than the club end, meaning the handle, like a pendulum. Um, so, again, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the grip. If you've got a really tight grip, if it's too tight, what ultimately ends up happening is you're not actually swinging a club. You're just sort of lifting it um, with your arms and your shoulders and that's incorrect. And ultimately what ends up happening. So really you want to feel um, some of the analogies that many pros have used is like feel like you're swinging a rope. So you've got a length of rope, maybe three, four feet long, and you're sort of swinging it. Or an elephant's trunk, you see how it sort of sways back and forth. That's the feeling you want. Obviously it's not going to be exactly like that. The club shaft is not like a rope. But that's the feeling. If your grip is not too tight, then as you swing back and forth, your your arms are going to fold correctly naturally. They will fold naturally. And your hands and wrists are going to also uh, set themselves correctly. And then as you turn your bigger muscles into the backswing and then conversely into the downswing, if you've got a good grip and you're not holding it too tight, then you're actually going to be able to swing the club and you'd be amazed at how much power. If you look at players like Freddie Couples and Ernie Els, they're not trying to murder the ball. They've got a very slow, methodical, very smooth swing, both of those players and many others as well. And they both had uh, incredible distance and accuracy, um, both off the tee and, and off the fairway. And the reason is, is they've got good timing and tempo, um, and they're not gripping the club to death. So um, if you want to hit the ball farther, you don't need to go out and spend four or $500 on a new driver. You just need to work on your golf swing and just worry about making effortless power and not powerless effort. Um, and then the last one I'm going to mention is um, width in your golf swing. Keep the same distance between your hands and your body. What I mean by that is when you take your setup um, and you start moving back, don't start moving your hands away. Uh, you're turning your whole body, your hands and your sternum uh, should be the same distance. Um, you want to have width, so you want to be able to have that nice width. If you collapse your arms or you sort of pull them in as you're going back, then when you go to swing down, they're going to go back out. Again, the opposite sort of happens. So you want to maintain that width that gives you the biggest, widest arc possible, and uh, don't collapse your arms towards your body at the top of your swing. So you want to keep that width. That's going to help you um, get a, a much better strike. And if you do collapse your arms, what ends up happening is if you do, you'll sort of have this sort of zigzag your way back down to the ball, and that's not good. So what happens is, again, the opposite happens. If you're pulling your arms in, now all of a sudden you're unwinding your body. Your arms are naturally going to be forced to move away, and then you're going to get a, a lot of inconsistent strikes. So keep that width in your swing. Again, go and visit your local professional. Set up for some, sign up for some lessons and get them to show you exactly what some of the things we're talking about. I know it's a little bit different on the radio program here to, to visualize everything, but 
Um, this just gives you an idea. These are some essential things that you need to understand if you want to become a better player and your local PGA or LPGA professional or golf professional in general um, can help you with these. So go and see them. It's not too late. I know we're getting into, for some of you, the later the season. There's a lot of great indoor facilities that you can uh, get involved with and um, that can keep you right through the winter months as well. And if not, then you can um, set up at home. There's lots of these things that we talked about. Okay, maybe you can't actually hit the golf ball, but you can work on your grip, your aim, and your posture. All of these things, you can work on uh, your actual swing without actually having to hit golf balls. These are things that you can work through in the off-season for those of you that maybe live in the northeast or northwest where uh, snow and, and other things happen. Um, but you can always be working on that. So don't think of all these things at once necessarily. I know it can be a little overwhelming, but when you work together with your pro, they'll set your uh, priorities for you and create a great practice PC, great improvements on the golf course. So keep that in mind the next time you're working with your professional. Talk to them, have a, a discussion with them, explain to them some of the things that you're struggling with, and I'll bet dollars to donuts that some of the things you're struggling with could be answered and rectified with some of the things that we talked about here this morning. So I want to thank you for tuning in this morning to the Women of Golf. If you missed any part of it, you can go back to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf, scroll down to the on-demand section, and all of the previously aired shows, including this one, will be there, um, and you can listen to them in entirety. I want to thank, again, uh, my very special guest this morning, Leticia Beck, uh, for joining me from the LPGA Epson Tour. Uh, she gets ready to wind down her season and play this weekend in Prattville, Alabama at the Guardian Championship. Um, good luck to her, and good luck to really to all the girls. We always root for them all. Um, only one winner, of course, but uh, I think that um, we like to see them all do well and, and uh, be able to become better players. If you want to become a better player, tune into the Women of Golf every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, or you can tune in Thursday evenings and join me um, on Golf Talk Live from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, for Coach's Corner and a great, insightful interview with some of my special guests. So you want to tune in. Again, go to blogtalkradio.com. You can either type in Golf Talk Live or Women of Golf, and you can catch both of the shows there as well. Um, on that note, thanks, everybody, for joining me this morning. God bless, and uh, just keep working on your game, uh, but make it fun. We'll see you next time here on the Women of Golf. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.